G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Thorpe is coming in. Gold and a world record. Ian Thorpe, the birth of a legend. 458 is the total, out of which Bradman has made 309 not out. It's a world's record. Ball in Test cricket in England for Shane Warne, and he's done it. He started off with the most beautiful delivery. Yes! To this is your sporting life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Here's your host, Sam Edmund. Hello everybody and welcome to the show. Great to be here, of course, for our friends at Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Well, today we're joined by a central figure in one of the very best VFL AFL sides of all time. Justin Lepich was a triple All-Australian and best and fairest winning defender in a powerful Lee Matthews coach Brisbane Lions team who won three consecutive flags in the early 2000s. More recently, Lepper was a key cog in the Richmond Brains Trust that helped the Tigers claim three flags in four years. And sandwiched in between, well, was a testing three-year stint as senior coach of the team he played for, the Lions. It's been a heck of a ride, Justin. Hello. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, a bit's gone on, hasn't it? <laughs> that time frame, but uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. I, I probably should have said it, it was a ride because, of course, you, you made the decision to, to pump the brakes on it at the end of last season when you stepped away. And what are you doing now, Lepra? I mean, how many times do you get asked that, by the way? Oh. Quite a lot, to be honest. Um, well, I just finished making my daughter pancakes, so that was uh, that's one of the big thrills of my day. But um, oh, look, like, it's, it's quite funny. It probably came about quite suddenly. I think the uh, the end. I mean, I, I think I always known at some point um, I needed a break from from football. But it, I think COVID just probably brought it to a head more than anything. Um, and sort of where the where the industry was going and the cuts were being made, I thought it was a perfect time um, to sort of take that break and try something different. But uh, yeah, but people loving it to be perfectly honest. And um, I've got a property development I'm doing. I'm, I've been working with some builders and some, also some coaching as well um, and culture leadership. So that, that's been a, a lot of fun. Take, take us through the coaching, which I, I read during the week. Where are you involved there? Yes, yeah, so I've actually been... Um, well, I'm also coaching some local footy. I'm coaching my daughter's under-16 team. I'm coaching Peninsula Grammar <laughs> First Boys um, as well. Um, so I'm doing a lot of things. I probably, what you do in a, in a, in a year, I, I guess, that you've just left the game. Still enjoying the football and enjoying it for fun. But, um, but also, um, you know, helping companies as well. With the things we used to do every day, really, that we took for granted as coaches, which is basically getting the best out of people and the best out of teams. It um, seems a bit of a gap there in that corporate space. So, um, And we know uh, Ruzi's got his own company. You know, John Worsfold, I think, recently just started as well in a similar position as a company. I think we probably underestimate what we do as, in the AFL industry as coaches and how it applies to the real world. Yeah, and I guess will it be a bit of chaos ball for the daughters' footy team, man? It seemed to work for the yellow and black. Do you take the same philosophy down there to the under sixteen? Oh, seriously, if you can get girls to listen, it is so funny coaching them. Um, <laughs> I, I, I coached Peninsula in the preseason um, Wednesday morning, and they're really committed young boys. They all want to play AFL, and you know they're they're, they're really listening and attentive. And um, and then you go to the, the girls, the sixteens in the afternoon, and mixed in between talking about what happens to, at school that day and trying to get their attention. It's actually quite funny um but it just shows coaching coaching is so different you know you, you 
depending on the audience you've got, is how difficult it is. I mean, coaching at Richmond the last couple of seasons wasn't overly difficult um, as far as getting their attention and those basics. It was difficult in other ways, but um, but yeah, it is quite fun though. What we can probably lose track of, Leper, is that you'd been involved in football at AFL level, and this is just AFL level, for 28 consecutive years as a player and a coach. So it's a significant decision, isn't it, to, to walk away from an industry that you've been immersed in since you were you were 17 absolutely and it wasn't easy i probably found i was going through the motions a little bit and um and you know look that's always a bad thing to say there'd be a lot of people that, that are killed to be in the position of uh, an afl um club a particularly successful afl club like richmond and um and and have that position but i just found for me the challenge you know i, I obviously had the challenge of being a senior coach which is the next level up and to come back then the challenge of making richmond um and the players i coached you know, a long time ago, um, reached those goals, which had happened. And I probably lost it after that. After that sort of has happened, you probably then re-establish what, what is what is next. But um, as I said, without COVID, it probably does tick over another year. I'm there at Richmond another year. But yeah, with the, the cuts to the industry and the changes that need to be made, it was probably a combination of all that. That thought, yeah, now's the now's the right time. Um, doesn't say you're never back in the game, um, but but what I come back as may be different to what I left. I was just going to ask you that. I'm conscious of the fact that we're talking in early March 2021, but is it a, a gap year so to speak at this point for you or is that just so far down the road you you, you wouldn't commit to that at this point oh no i don't know the answer to that um mm. one thing we do know is in footy clubs you, you have a i guess a higher and fire peer, period around september october every year i mean and everyone gets their off-field cap together their on-field cap together and you tend to stick with that that group for the 98 percent really for the whole year you know it's the odd time you see a administrator or coach leave mid-season, but it's very rare. Um, so I, I know that time's there. So there's no decision that needs to be made until that time anyway. But what I'm really enjoying is, um, yeah, to see getting out in the real world and working with real businesses and 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 actually helping them with the skills that I have. Um, it's actually quite motivating, and um, and it's good to be able to you know to, to do something a little bit different. And I think if I do come back to the game, I'll be much better for it. Um, and, and be much more rounded. Yeah, and you're in such a, a great position, privileged position, I guess, to explain just how much more demanding coaching is now, whether it be senior or assistant, and how much it takes away from family and, and that everyday life that you speak of. Oh, it definitely does. I mean, just by nature. Um, you know, I said my wife asked me to enjoy the most. I said, well, I can holiday when I want to holiday. Um, you know, for 28 years, I've only really had October off. Um I remember the year I retired, and I re- retired really early, and we were able to get to Canada for a summer through July, it might have been, of that year, because I retired about round eight or so. But that was the only time I've actually had a, a holiday through the Melbourne or uh, Australian winter. So um, it gives you an opportunity to, to see some another country at another time that you wanted to do it, not when the system told you to, to do it. So, um, yeah, the, all those little things I'm enjoying at the moment. I said I just went away to Warrnambool last weekend. Um, normally we've got a game on, normally the last pre-season game, so I miss it and the family goes on their own. So all those things... I guess I'll get back, um, or at least for, for this year, that, that that part I'm going to enjoy. But yeah, but really just also, um, apart from that, just take take a look outside and what, what really goes on outside of the AFL walls. You worked alongside Damien Hardwick for years in, in two stints, Justin. I mean, you've seen them struggle. You've seen the club under pressure, the coach under pressure, everyone under pressure. But then you've also seen the success and the formulation of, of a pretty unique system and style that has underpinned this premiership run. Would would you envisage now, looking from the outside in, much of a change to stay ahead of the chasing pack? Or has it always been a case at Richmond of, they can try and come and get us, but we back our system in until someone beats it? I wonder we know the game's ever changing and... Richmond won't be on top forever. <laughs> Whether it's this year, next or the year after, it's going to move. And you know, we also thought Hawthorne was never going to lose 
ever again a few years ago and Geelong before that and you know Brisbane before that so it, it just but it does change <laughs> history just tells you the, the cycling what happens we've got a really young hungry Port Adelaide and Brisbane Lions team just just wanting it you've got Geelong that even though they're a little bit older they're, they're very hungry to, to make that final step um, and, and as we also know you've got to be fit at the right time of the year often to win it and it doesn't and Richmond have been brilliant at peaking at the right time um, in the last few seasons, apart, I guess, from the 18, where there's a lot of learnings were finished on top, but ran out of steam. So, and then I think that was one of the great lessons at Richmond is it's not about being finishing on top of the ladder. Um, it's, just, it's the most irrelevant uh, position to be because uh, often teams are peaking to, to that last position. So, um, yeah, so the, the Richmond have got a bit of an art form at, at peaking at the right time and making sure that their whips are cracking in September. And have you kept an eye on them early on? Have you watched their games, Leper? And and the hunger certainly doesn't appear to have gone anywhere at this early juncture, which is which is half the battle, really, isn't it? For a side that's had the success that it's had. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And um, it's always important to get a win and just to feel like you you can still play early in the season, just to keep you keep your confidence. And look, they've got that. I still speak to the, the guys at Richmond all the time, so um, you know that that part's really good. Um, and that, that's no issues there. And obviously, I'm, I'm probably torn who I've got to support this year, um, given the fact they've got a lot of the boys I coach um, at Richmond and, and want to continue that success and help them. Obviously, want them to to, to reach the ultimate, but also got my old team that um, look like they're in a pretty good spot as well. So mm. I'm just enjoying being a fan this year. Fantastic. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. We're off and running with Justin Lepich. But next, from Berwick to Brisbane, how Lepper went from somewhat cocky forward a dependable defender. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Company on This Is Your Sporting Life, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. We're with Brisbane Lions Hall of Famer Justin Lepich. So, Leper, raised in Berwick in Melbourne, South East, what, what sort of a kid were you? I think I was just a, a boy that liked playing sport, really. That's, <laughs> I was pretty simple as far as that goes. I always liked, um, I guess, having fun and, and kicking the footy with my mates. That, that was that was really it. And I mean, I, don't, I think I was pretty basic like that. We grew up in very basic surroundings. Um, there wasn't a lot of money around my place. Um, we lived in housing commission early. Um, so yeah, so we, we kind of grew up without, without much. Um, so yeah, really just football and, um, and, and, and a bit of cricket in the summer was really my life. Brothers and sisters? Yeah, I got an, an older sister and um, yeah, she, uh, she got she copped a bit of the, oh, come on, let's go outside the backyard and play sport, which is often <laughs> not what sisters want to do. But uh, um, but no, she uh, no, she was really good, uh, really good for that sort of thing. She always liked hanging out and having a hit too. So footy was your path in life, but as a young athletic forward, the words were bandied around like chirpy, cocky, excitable, but you, you loved kicking a snag, didn't you? And you, you loved the thrill of the crowd and the feedback that that gave you. Yeah, it was quite, quite funny. I, I never really played forward. I always played ruck as a junior and um, I sort of stopped growing around 15 or 16 and then all these bean poles just keep going past you. So um, I never played as a forward as a kid um, that often um, or a defender. Um, I was always playing through the middle so um yeah going forward it was, it was quite different i you know i was drafted from the stingrays that year and i played forward i played a bit of back and um and i played a few positions that that 
previous season, but uh, Brisbane saw me early as a forward. So I was really, you know, when you don't play a position regularly, even as a junior, and you, you come to an AFL club, and you, I'm, I'm sort of learning on the job. <laughs> I find a lot of a lot of ways, but I think I was naturally talented enough to, to score goals, which I enjoyed. But I didn't really understand the position well enough, and the and the and the hard work required within it. So, oh look, I I, I hadn't. It, it, Bad knee injury early and missed a bit of footy and, and sort of spluttered my way through 95, 96 um, sort of thing. So, but, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a pretty inconsistent start um, to my playing career. But I think I was, in a lot of ways, working out what sort of player I was meant to be. And what did that mean for you coming face-to-face with, you know, Robert Walls up there in Brisbane, one of the hardest taskmasters going around, of course? Yeah, and I missed the first two years basically under Wolsey. I mean, 95, I came back to play. It was my first real, which is Wolsey's last year year as a coach my first real um, full run at it in my third season of footy and that was a real challenge I was still trying you know I was that one year off the knee I probably wasn't moving the best and I was still working out what best position was for me but as well as he is he's really apologetic and understanding um, that's, that's a joke <laughs> so he's probably more difficult for me in my last year when I was mm. trying to you know get through my own form issues and he is in his last year of his coaching also was probably trying to get the most out of it as well so um, but, but look you know I've got a great relationship with Robert now I'm, I, I could tell you what I mean Robert coached the 17 18 year old um, leper and leave I was lucky enough to get the 23-year-old version, which often in life is a better way to be. You know, you get someone when they've had a few years under their belt and they've got a bit more of an understanding. It's much easier to coach players like that than the, than the younger ones. Yeah, so that knee injury of 93 was particularly nasty because it was the ACL, wasn't it? You also blew out your lateral ligament as well. But if we skip forward to 98, Leper, the Brisbane Bears are the Brisbane Lions, but you win five games, you finish last. I mean, you're six years into your career. What, what was keeping you there and how strong was the lure to potentially come home well it's quite funny after my second year i did leave brisbane never to come back but i just didn't get an offer from anybody else <laughs> jeez then you were and, you were picked um, four so that's almost that, that yeah. scenario is just almost unbelievable now nowadays well yeah it is um i guess the modern day version might have been john Patton a while ago um thought he's near it early um but yeah but uh, back then the recruiting part part of the, the industry was very um i guess uh, immature in its in its understanding. It was all prove yourself, son. Well, you haven't played enough footy yet. When you play well, we might bring you back to Melbourne. That was sort of the attitudes of footy clubs. So when I go back to Brisbane and play well, and now they start throwing money at you to come back. So it was it was very. Um, that wasn't very futuristic. It wasn't very. Um, and that's what Brisbane. You know, the the re- big reason why Brisbane. Uh, had such great success in the later part is the work that was done through 93, 4, 5, 6 through that era in recruiting all the Queensland talent, uh, all the, sorry, all the, the draft talent with Chris Scott, myself, Nigel Lappin, etc. And you had Acker and Vossi and Clark Keating and it just the list goes on. Um, but that was built through that, that period there. So, um, yeah, but that was very rare. Not many clubs are doing that. They're all looking for the now uh, or, or looking for the next year. But it's very different now, now that we understand the system, the AFL. So you wanted to leave after two years, but there was no interest. And then at the end of 1998, when I assume there might have been a bit of interest, a, a guy by the name of Lee Matthews arrives and he moves you to defence and you finish joint winner of the best and fairest. I mean, even just on the surface, it's obvious that he had a profound impact on your career, didn't he? Not just in that season, but obviously for the rest of your career, as it would turn out. Yeah, he did. And in fact, 98 was the year I was probably looking to, you know, I thought the club uh, wasn't in a great way post merger. Um, you know, the, the merger really had a massive impact. In 1996, we were going quite well as the Bears, and I, I felt um, 97 was a very difficult year. It would have been difficult for John Northey as well. Um, you know, mergers are hard. You, you're talking about 
two different clubs, two different um, the philosophies and the way things go about. I think the Brisbane Bears component of the, the merger thought, you know what, we don't need these guys. You know, we're, we're, we're sitting, we went to a prelim, we're, we've got a good young list, we don't need the cellar dwellers. And then the Fitzroy people saw it as a, as a takeover and um, they were quite disgruntled. So you went from almost quite a happy environment to quite a mixed environment, um, you know, quite a, 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 an almost unhappy and... Um, unhealthy environment so that it took a while to, to adjust to that uh, I think mm. and, and hence why the performance has dropped for a couple of years as well um, but and that's why the, when I say I was ready to leave after 98 it was more after because of that I just I just didn't think the club had its culture back and its togetherness back but when Lee Matthews was was, not, was um, obviously got the job it was it instantly flipped for me it, it was like oh no no this this guy and with Gubby coming up and, um, yeah, this is going to finally get right off the field, which hopefully result, results on the field, which is what it did. It did, yeah. The wheel started to turn, didn't it? So 99 joint best and fairest, 2000, uh, I think third in the count that year. But I wanted to ask you, there was an incredible game in the year 2000. I know you've spoken a bit about this before. It was North Melbourne, Brisbane at Docklands. Now, for those that are unaware, you're playing on Wayne Carey, who could who could go a bit. In fact, he'd kick five to half time. Grant from Burton, and he's got Carey in his side. And he's got him. Oh, that's wonderful footy. One of them, perhaps on Daryl White when he was briefly moved on to him, but Lee leaves you on him and you approached the second half in somewhat radical fashion, didn't you? Oh, I, I, yeah. I don't know if it was... Yeah, I suppose that you could say it was radical. I was always attacking as a player. And, yeah, the, the second half, I, I guess, yeah, there was a, there particularly a couple of the goals I kicked in that second half were a little bit little bit radical running forward. And, um, you know, I, I figure all you can do is fight fire with fire sometimes. Um, you know, when I did a lot of my research back in the, you know, 2000s and late 90s, um, you know, everyone just said defenders play from behind and spoil. And I thought, well, I don't have the first five metres to do that. Um, so I'm going to play on a, I mean, Jason Dunstan wasn't around, but or Tony Lockett or anyone like that. I can't play from the back position. I just get let up on all day long. So I used to have to try and find ways to, you know, use my advantages. I was always a little bit shorter. I knew I was strong enough, um, but I also didn't have the first bit of toe. So I had to cut angles and do things like that and try different things or, or you know, be aggressive with my offensive run to try and maybe, you know, blow up the opposition a little bit so they couldn't run hard the other way. So I used to try and have to use those tips and tricks just to, you know, get, get my advantages. But, um, but yeah, that particular day, it was, it was trying to run off a little bit and, you know, and throw a few punches back. And it just happened to work, you know, and obviously kicked a few goals and, and, and look, we lost the game, so um, it didn't um, quite get the result. But I think we were 40-odd points down and nearly won. Yeah, you were 40 points down at the last change, lost by four. And how many goals was it in the second half for you? Was it four? I think it was four. <laughs> yeah, it was four. Four. Yeah, it was four. <laughs> uh, I, I just funny because Kingy mentioning this because he played in that game and uh, he laughs about it. And I actually ran into stuff um, in Bali once and um, he came up to me and we ended up hanging out for the day and had a few drinks and he just said, I still can't believe <laughs> I couldn't believe the bulliness of that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it was. And it was a bit young and dumb. But you know what? Sometimes that worked. Um, the old, you know, as I got older, you know, I, I, I definitely ran forward far less and became more conservative. And I think that probably made us a better team. You know, you know whilst it sounds good now and that, those, that, that game was exciting for everybody, it probably sort of summed up, you know, where we needed to get to as a whole footy club, be a bit more consistent, you know, and make better decisions and, 
I ended up becoming definitely more of a back half defender after that year, that's for sure. So you'd had two good years on a, on a personal front. And at the end of 2000, we got another chapter, didn't we, on the whether you would stay or, or go. St Kilda came knocking and they actually knocked really hard. Now, I'm not sure who managed you at the time, but the offer was a big one, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Ricky Nixon. And um, at the time, St Kilda were going through, like, you know, the, you talk about rebuilds. They were really um, starting from scratch. Uh, it was a Nick Rewalt year, first yep. pick. Um, but, um, yeah, it was, uh, they, they sort of, that Malcolm came into coach and he only ended up lasting eight weeks. So there was still a lot of pain in the years, you know, two or three years going after that. I know there wasn't too long because they ended up, obviously, by 2004 going really well. All those young kids that came through <laughs> ended up, you know, charging quite early um, and having a run under it on the Grand Thomas eventually. But, yeah, I just felt that, you know, I was at the stage of my career, irrespective of, of money, that you just, you're in a good team. Just, just stick with it as long as you can and, um, I've always played for success over money. It's always been my driving factor. Um, so yeah, so the, in a lot of ways it was a no-brainer. It was quite um, obviously quite humbling, and um, you know, to to get uh, you know, large monetary offers and people want you. But I also felt too, you know, when you with you in the midfield, you can control your destiny a little bit. But I'm going to a club on big money and. You know, with maybe sixty odd entries against every week, and uh, it, it also not make the job easier as well. People need to understand about defence that what happens and the pressure happens upfield is so much dependent on what you can achieve down the other. And uh, at that point in time, it was going to be a, a few hard years of ball coming in. So that was the main crux of it. Yeah, why, yeah. why I stayed up in Brisbane. I think that contract. Correct me if I'm wrong. Would have made you the highest paid player in the competition. Now this is 21 years ago, Leper, and what what was it roughly? It was somewhere around two million over what three years? That yeah, that's right. And and uh, yeah, that's basically it. And Ricky, well, Ricky mm. said that, and he he managed. I think most of those big guys at that time. Um, that was that was his feedback. But really, it, and then after that, it was you know sort of shut down. And again, that comes a lot of pressure comes with that as mm. well. You know, they, they would have freaked out. And I'm sure your media types would have given me a lot of relief if I went over there and big money and didn't perform. So, um, but yeah, look, and, and that's a big part of it as well. The, the pressure to perform under big money when, and a prop, you know what, I probably didn't even think I deserved to be that player anyway. So, you know, if if that's the case, then, um, then don't do it. You're with This Is Your Sporting Life, brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Just visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Next, Leper takes us through the glory days and years at the Brisbane Lions. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Sporting Life. We're chatting with triple premiership winning defender Justin Lepich. Lepper, when the Lions machine really got rolling, all we tended to hear about, particularly down south, was all about the Fab Four. The midfield that was the stuff of dreams and all of that was deserved, of course. But we didn't hear a lot about the so-called men's department. <laughs> yeah, the men's department um, yeah, really held together the, uh, the mids, didn't they? But oh, we, we were pretty lucky, and, and I mentioned before about the quality of midfield and what they do to help out the defence. But you know, our midfield were amazing ball winners, and often sent the ball going the other way. And that, that that's a great starting point to be when you've always got the opposition on the back foot, and they almost have to travel the length of the field to score against you. That's um, you know, 
and that's what we're very lucky, and that's why they deserve all that that sort of credit because they're all fantastic players, great, great contested players, great, also defensive players um, as well. They they, def- they definitely put the work in and respected that part of the game. So hence why you know they deserve those titles. But yeah, I, I think I mean our our, our backline, you'd it, struggle to find a position on our ground that that wasn't. Um, filled with stars. I mean, even our forwards at Brown and Bradshaw and Alistair Lynch. I mean, the, the list goes on. Craig McRae, that you know, they're an amazing forward group as well. So it was um, it was a pretty special team. Yeah, the men's department was obviously Andrew Abuse's way of referring to the defence before he moved on, but I think you picked up the, the baton there. And I'm not sure, though, Leper, how great the service would have been in the men's department. I mean, there were some stone-cold assassins in there. The Scots, Chris Johnson, uh, Martin Pike throwing his weight around, Mel Michael. I mean, there was a swagger, but there was... It was intimidation at times. Yeah, it was. The, the natural, um, you know, I, I guess players have a natural way they go about football. And it's just so funny that most of the guys back there were actually had that intimidating or aggressive part of their nature. It just was the way they played and um, formulated that group. So it wasn't like anything was fake within it. It was just highly competitive players that want, wanted to win so bad that, you know, it came across in quite an aggressive nature. But it worked. That was, the that was the, I guess, the trademark of our team. Was that a green? Even way Michael Voss went about his business, it, yeah. it, it just sort of was the way we sort of we ran it back then. The 2001 Grand Final, Essendon and the Black Armbands that we, that we later learnt were a dig at you guys for the use of intravenous drips at halftime of games that year before it was obviously outlawed by the league. Were you aware of that at the time? Did the players know that that was the intention during the game? Well, I wasn't. I didn't even know till after. Um, I don't even know if it was the next day or the day after it, was, it sort of came out, and, and a few of the players were aware of it. And in fact, I didn't even. Know, I think Marcus Ashcroft might have actually gone in at halftime and put one on himself <laughs> over his, uh, in the same position, uh, possibly. Might have to go back to that game and check because he was aware of it. But yeah, I didn't. No, I had no idea, which is probably a good thing. Because, uh, uh, look, it, it, at the end of the day, one thing we, we talk about the cultures of footy club, one thing we tried to be and, and we try to be is cutting edge um, and make sure that you know the players felt like they got everything they needed to, to succeed. Um, and look, obviously that can lead to dangerous things as well if you go take that too far, like we saw it at Essendon um, not, not too long ago. But Brisbane never did anything that was outside the rules or ne- never did anything that was deemed, um, y- y- you know, dodgy mm. or potentially... Mm. A, an issue, but um, I guess the hydration part of it was something that came. I think the American footballers definitely did it using uh, the use of IVs um, through our games, and it was something we meant to bring in. It wasn't illegal. Um, it was, uh, and then when uh, the AFL said stop doing it, it was stop doing it. And not even everyone did it. There was only, a, you know, you pitch at half time. I think there's only about three or four players that could actually physically do it. Is it the time you know it takes to do and all that sort of thing. Right, I, right. I only did it. I only ever did it once in a pre-season game. Um, I, I, I went out there cramped, ridiculous. <laughs> halfway through the third quarter so they wrapped me up and, and used the IV then after a game so so realistically I mean it, it, it wasn't every player it wasn't every time and stopped when it had stopped halfway through 2001 so yeah. um, I was so going to ask you if there was a discernible difference but you, you might not have um, had enough experience oh, no I, I, I sort of personally did enough experience again you know I remember we do lots of things but I remember going to we used to go see a tenant flicker who is awesome you know an, an older guy named Sid and uh, we used to drive to his house and you used to have to have him $27 cash and he'd, he'd just go through, he'd flick your tendons, you know, like it was like oh. an extreme version of massage. And um, it, was, it, was, it was literally, you walked out feeling like you're floating, you know. 
um, is brilliant um, and really helped, particularly my laddie, try and keep your body up and going. So players still will do stuff like that. Um, it just probably, it probably gives an insight into the mindset of the players and just wanting to always be up, have their bodies in the best available state to play. We sort of had, That was our mantra and, and, and sort of what we were um, as a footy club. So, um, But make no mistake, we never, never ever um, at one point felt like we're ever breaking the rules or doing anything yeah. wrong. I think the, yeah. the, the IVs are the one thing that I think Essendon supporters love to hang on. And <laughs> but, um, but unfortunately, it's only a very small part of... Um, uh, and, and as again, finished before the, the big part of their success. Yeah, and that was around the time you were flying low altitude as a team as well, weren't you? And you were obviously yeah, doing right. a lot of trouble. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and that's another example there. You know, the, the clubs, you know, were flying low altitude to get to games because they felt that was better. So there's lots of little things like that. The use of hyper- hyperbaric chambers as well. Um, was very common in our rehab and repair. So, yeah, lots of things like that were um, a big part of what we did and, and, to- and players spent a lot of time investing in that, that thing. At one point, Acker was selling magnetic mats. <laughs> I remember that too. Uh, there's a mat where you lie on and, you know, apparently the, the magnet takes away swelling and all sorts of things. So, um, yeah, it was quite, it's quite a funny time. <laughs> so 2001, you dethrone Essendon. 2002, Collingwood really make you earn it, but you go back to back. 2003, pretty straightforward demolition job for three in a row. Oh, you must get asked this a lot, but do you have a favourite? Do you have a pick of the bunch? Is it is it the breakthrough one or is it the three-peat? What, what was it for you? Oh, I think 2001 would be um, the most relief. I mean, anything you've built up for a long period of time. So for me, it's, it's almost from a child. From the age of three, four or five, you know, you want to play in an AFL grand final. Um, firstly, you want to play AFL and, you, and then your next dream is playing in an AFL grand final and probably your dream after that is kicking the winning goal in an AFL grand final, which I never got to do, unfortunately. But um, so anything like that and the, the, just the relief and joy of that is um, quite amazing. So, um, you know, the third year was probably a bit more fortunate. It probably the feel, I don't know what it feels like to win Lotto, but um, it's probably more like that. Like how lucky am I? to be here at this time because it's so such hard such a low percentage chance to be a part of that uh, team that's done that it's actually more likely now isn't it 20 years later but before that point um, it, you know three peats weren't just weren't done mm. and your relationship with Lee I know we touched on it earlier from a football perspective but off field your relationship with him was famously strong and, and I don't know probably still is why is that because he was seen at least from the outside and by some internally as a coach who perhaps I don't know if this is fair but kept his players at arm's length or the players were perhaps a, a bit scared to try and get within arm's length you you were different though weren't you yeah I, I guess so I guess I've always had a good relationship with him I always found him really easy to, to talk to and I was always able to be myself around him more importantly and, and he allowed that and he quite liked that and he allowed all his players to be themselves but um, it, Lee has obviously such an intimidating part of his nature and who he is I, I probably never felt that which is <laughs> Hopefully, an advantage, maybe not, but it allowed me to be myself more, and um, and he liked that, um, I guess. But um, no, I've always, but I've also respected Lee for who he is, and um, in his game, and I never, I never crossed the line or anything like that, did you know, and, and did anything disrespectful. But I always felt I could be be myself around him, and yeah, and look, we, we still obviously speak now, and look, every couple of months or so, we chat and we'll catch up. It's obviously harder now with him being in, in Brisbane, but um, but yeah, look, I mean, for a guy that's sacked me twice now, um, we, I don't know how we still have a good relationship. 
relationship, but uh, <laughs> no, we, we actually we actually do. Yeah. Oh, no, and I know you have told it a bit, but the Crown Casino lift exchange with him after the 03 flag, I think it was, in many ways probably summed up your relationship, that, that brief exchange. Yeah, it, it, it probably does. Um, whereas I always used to throw little barbs at Lee because, you know, he was he's quite, you know, stoic in nature and he, he loves the fact that he's got a great reputation in the game and he's really much... What was it again? For the record, what was it again? What, what was what? What was the little barb that you offered in the lift? When we were in the lift, um, you know, I said to Lee, um, I was a bit it's quite funny. It's actually a very quiet moment in the lift, but um, quite rare. It's quite a um, big industrial that's going up crown. And I said to him, you'd be nothing without us. And um, and it got a bit of laughter. But then he <laughs> said, yeah, yeah, you're right. I'd only be player of the century without you. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. and it, was, it, was, it was very good like that. He, uh, he he Often I'd throw something like that at Lee, but he always had such a really quick-witted response, which doesn't actually suit his nature, you'd think. But he actually uh, is very good. How did he respond to the 2004 grand final loss? Of course, you're going for four in a row. Um, you lose to Port Adelaide ultimately, and there was some scheduling, seems incredulous now, some scheduling issues, which we'll get to in a moment leading up to that grand final. But you were going for four in a row. How did he respond to the defeat, and, and how did that wash with the players, or most of them? Oh, look, I didn't speak too much about it after. I know Lee was disappointed after the game and um, you know said that we blew it. Blew, blown it and, and, and things like that but you know I, was, I wasn't lifting them much to be perfectly honest I mean it was Alice Lynch just sort of announced he's retired after the game straight away uh, I knew Craig McRae was leaving as well we just had a really bad loss and yeah you see you're just not you're not you're not thinking and listening much um, disappointed you don't play well but all those things sort of um, you know roll through your mind so um, I, I think either irrespective of what Lee said it was probably the beginning of the end anyway uh, for that that team probably really rung the towel dry didn't we for a long period of time playing a lot of guys that got up for a lot of finals to, to get that result and it just sort of fell off a cliff after that um, pretty sharply now, I know it's in the revision mirror now, obviously, but just that, that scheduling. So you'd earn the right to host a preliminary final at the at the Gabba, but because of a contract between the league and, and the MCC, you had to play your home prelim against the Cats at the MCG. But it wasn't just that, was it? Because you had to do it on a Saturday night. So you had significantly less time to prepare f- for the grand final as well. You know, it's as I said, it's almost incredulous now, but at the time as a player, was it something didn't sit well with you or you just got on with it? Oh, look, I, I think, you know... It's it's so long ago now. People mm. probably won't even care. But the only people that care are the ones that are part of it. But look, clearly we'll beat in that day by Port Adelaide. But what, one thing one thing you know with sport is that you know your preparation leading in can give you the best opportunity um, on a, on a particular day. You know, maybe maybe one day someone from Andrew Dimitro's department will come out and and. A bit, a bit of the honesty box will come out and say, no, 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 it wasn't just the fact, no, it wasn't the MCG that said we could actually play the game in the Gabba or even the fact that it had to be played on a Saturday. Maybe someone that knows something might actually come out one day, now that it's 20 years later, and say, yeah, Andrew was a little bit narc. Michael Bowers on that deal with Pepsi and he wanted to get you back someday. You know, maybe all that will come out in the wash um, one day. Um, but at this point in time, it's just an amazing coincidence of scheduling that never a preliminary final that's ever happened since. Um, so, yeah, you've got to be upset with the potential way and this that could have come across as deliberate um, from the AFL. I'm not saying it was, but it can be perceived that way. But maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was just an amazing coincidence that it just so happened that that was the best moment for ratings or whatever reason they gave the time to, to be there. But um, I try not to look at that part of it because that part is the, 
bit that gets you annoyed and frustrated, I tend to look at what the things we could have controlled on the day. Because not only that, the week before, we Jonathan Brennan had a horrific injury that he probably shouldn't have played the grand final in Sean Hart, who's our best tagger, um, broke his jaw and would have probably been on <laughs> Byron mm. Pickett or one of those players that went absolutely crazy on the day. Um, he wouldn't have been there for that game anyway. But um, So there's a lot of things contributing to it that wouldn't have changed the result, but there's also some things that could have changed the result. We're talking to Justin Lepich on This Is Your Sporting Life. All thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Up next, we'll revisit Justin's time in charge of the Brisbane Lions, and I just wonder if we can corral him into a straight answer on something. Voss or Dusty? You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. to have your company here on This Is Your Sporting Life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Brisbane, former Brisbane Lions superstar Justin Lepich has been our guest today. Leper, I guess they call it character building in the caper, don't they? But how do you look back on those three years coaching your old side, the Lions? So it was 14 wins, 66 games from 2014 to 2016. Oh, yeah, I, don't, I, I try not to reflect on it too much, to be <laughs> Sorry, honest. Um, they, they, weren't, they weren't great times. I, was, I shouldn't say that because I actually loved the job and I loved catching my own team and, and I, I really felt as difficult as I knew the job was going to be that uh, we can get through the first hurdles and, 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 sort, of, um, and sort of get through to, to the good times, which is pretty much where the Lions are enjoying like right now. Um, but, yeah, it just, it just didn't happen that way. Um, Quite often in the build, the first coach, as we've touched on Robert Walls before, who recruited me, the first coach isn't the, the coach that takes him through to the, the glory, and, and that's that's very common. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's just the way it was. I, I had an extremely young team and a transition period of the club where not only just young players playing, but culturally it was, you know, as you know, the, the young players had left when I, when I rocked up, so culturally there were some issues to to talk through and um, so yeah it was just a for that part it was a difficult time but um, I, I tend to like to look at the the parts where the, the bits I enjoyed and well the bits I tried to focus on as a coach anyway was was really and maybe to my detriment was uh, the younger players and, and and getting them loving the Brisbane Lions and getting them wanting to stay at the Brisbane Lions I felt that was a really important task for me mm. um, obviously with Harris Andrews and uh, Eric Kipwood that was easy because they're Queenslanders but Guys like, you know, when you're recruiting Dan McStay or Darcy Gardner, um, Louis Taylor, although he's not there, you wanted them to re-sign and stay and at least build something around. It was it just sort of such, that was sort of the messaging at the time was just, just don't even go to Brisbane. It, it stinks as an organisation. And, you know, fortunately now and with the perfect timing with Chris coming in, he's a, obviously a fantastic person and a real connector. Um, you know, then you get a Charlie Cameron coming through the door and Lockie Neal and, then you get a Lincoln McCarthy, who you know, and again another experienced player. Even though he had his issues, you just sort of keep surrounding those boys with good players. Um, it just then it's a recipe for you know really great things, which is they're on the path to doing now, which is um, which is pleasing. And looking back with the clarity that you'd have now, that perhaps you didn't necessarily have a you know bird's eye view of then. Um, there was probably an element of wrong place, wrong time about it too. I mean, there's a new board, new CEO, I think even a new footy manager. New welfare, twenty-five old debutants, a shocking injury rate, and but knowing what you know now, Justin, do you, do you think back sometimes and just shake your head at the things you perhaps focused on then, or, or how you went about things, knowing what you know now? 
Yeah, it's. Oh, I guess the one thing I'm glad I didn't do is focus on all those all those things you mentioned. Like, <laughs> it is quite it's quite challenging when you add all each one of them together. Um, it almost is a recipe for loss if you look at metrics in football, um, which I'm a you know a, a big watcher of, and I had a lot. I did a lot of work um, with uh, with a guy on metrics in footy and when success should come and. We did a lot of work on shared experience together, and that's one of the biggest indicators in footy of success. Is how much, not just how much experience you've got, but how much experience you've got together. And and look, and, and I always knew it was going to be timely. It was always going to take some time. So once I knew that, I, I, I sort of chose not to focus on that part of it too much and try and at least coach the players in the moment. But it did get difficult. It did get difficult. It was. Uh, my first year, we only had one player that didn't play. I think my last year, there was only three players. This is the last game of the year, round 22, that Jeez. didn't play. Wow. And it was like, <laughs> and um, yeah, it was, a, it was a real challenge. It was a real challenge. So um, it's difficult when you don't have that. And then obviously, your prize pick in Dane Beans doesn't play through the whole really of that, that last year either. So you couldn't even get, you know, a, a really good player out in the track. So that, that part was a, that part was difficult. Um, my one positive is I can actually say I never finished on the bottom of the ladder. So there you go. I, <laughs> I never won a spoon as a coach. So although I felt like every year I won a spoon, but I, it never actually happened. Uh, hang on to that one. Hey, now we'll try and keep the splinters out of your backside on this one, Leopard. The Lions' best side of oh one oh four against the Tigers' best side of seventeen to twenty. Discuss. Oh well, who's in it? Well, who's not in it? Uh, who 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 wins it? Oh, who wins the game? Um, well, if I'm playing the Lions, surely it's <laughs> like it. Who would you you'd, you'd have? I'd, Tommy Lynch for company. Dusty. I'd have to. I'd have to take Dusty. I think when he comes down in the cage, <laughs> I would have thought that that would be it, one on one. Oh, uh, well, just on him, Voss or Dusty? Um, yeah, it's a yeah. Well. I've forgotten about Bossy already, so let's say Dusty. <laughs> he's, an old, he's one of those old hacks. The, the, the reputation for big game performers, though, sits comfortably on, uh, well, well and truly on Dusty's shoulders, but we do forget quickly, well and truly on your former skipper's shoulders as well, of course. Oh, yeah. I mean, Michael Voss was the star of the game, and the game was different back then, I mean, it, than it is now. And, um, you know, <laughs> Michael, um, a bit similar to Dusty, is a, a dynamic midfielder. Probably more of a dynamic midfielder than Dustin, but Dustin's work as a forward, which Michael did a bit more towards the end of his career, but he's uh, unparalleled, you know. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's, I always hate comparisons because they're dangerous. Yeah. Because, you know, there's, there's always, it's, we, we play such a complex game. Um, Dustin Martin, um, Michael Voss is a much better contested mark than Dustin Martin. Dustin doesn't jump off the ground, his feet don't leave the ground. In fact, he's very rarely goes to ground, or, you know, he's, he's just like a. It's like a train on rails. He's uh, unbelievable. Whereas Michael could do so many more dynamic things in the air and um, yeah, ground level, almost boring like a Trent Cotchin, you know, that sort of player. Um, so they're, they're, they're so different in their, their, their makeup. But um, if you need a comparison, I'll go with Dusty, given the fact he's the flavour at the moment. As for you, as a dependable defender, but really what you were was a, a flair defender in many ways, how special was Alex Rance? Oh, look, it was great to coach a guy. You know, Alex... You know, he grew up in footy, obviously, with his dad um, playing as well. Um, he just really wanted to make the game of AFL to the point that, that I thought at times it might have been unhealthy. His sort of love and passion and the stress he put himself under to, to make it. So 
there was that part, and we see even later on in his career, he ended up leaving the game to, you know, you know, and, and try other things, probably when he still has some time in his body. Um, well, but just, what I'd love just to on have, that, though, did you find that difficult to understand how someone could walk away, with, you know, with the game seemingly at, at their feet? No, not really, because I'd spoken to him about it numerous times, mm. and I spoke to him about it when I was coaching Brisbane, because he was thinking about it then um, as well. So it, it had been a constant conversation throughout his career. It's funny, it almost after he made it in footy and become that All-Australian player was probably when he then thought about it. Uh, up until then, he just wanted to make the game and, and be as good as he could be. Uh, but he was easy to coach. Um, he was quite ungainly. He needed a lot of school training, and but yet he loved being coached that way. He loved being coached with um, you know, the, the structure of um, and, and the, the technical way of how to be the best in, and it worked for him too. So um, yeah, so he was a brilliant to, to coach. Obviously, he applied it really well. Uh, and then he got his, really lucky for him, he got his best footy out of him when I left, you know, and, and, and he was able to get coached by another really good, obviously, all-same defender, Ben Rutten. So he was fortunate to have some really good coaching, you know, and, and, not, and not every player gets that. Not every player gets someone as a, you know in their position that's a specialist as their line coach. It's, you know, often you might see a backline coach as a guy that used to play half-forward or... He might have been an outside wingman, or and he's coaching key defenders on how to do their craft. So but you don't always get that that position specific player throughout your career. So he was lucky mm. enough to have not just myself but Ben there to to sort of guide him through his whole career. Webber, it's been great to catch up today. We could probably talk all day. I mean, you had a playing career that really was the envy and is the envy of anyone who runs onto an AFL ground. 227 games, three flags, three All-Australian gongs, a best and fairest. You know, you're a defensive rock, but your flair and your want to counterattack almost put you ahead of your time. Good luck with whatever comes next, footy or otherwise, and thanks so much for joining us. All right, guys, all the best. And thank you for joining us also. You've been listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Just jump online to find tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the very next time we celebrate the life of another sporting icon. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.